Imagine a world where you were free to focus on sparking curiosity in your students and giving them access to the awe and wonder of learning. A world where you were supported to deliver a truly personalised education to help all your learners achieve their potential. No need to imagine it, because that's exactly what the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service delivers. Seamlessly integrating curriculum, resources, assessment, next steps and professional development, every component of Oxford Smart is connected and working to provide you with a uniquely coherent and responsive service that empowers you and your students with transformational effect. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Welcome to the Oxford Education Podcast. In this episode, we're delighted to welcome Genevieve Bent, Assistant Principal leading Sixth Form and former Head of Science at Harris Invictus Academy in Croydon, and Linda Charlesworth, Head of Science at Camden School for Girls. Genevieve and Linda talked to Lamorna Newcomb, science publisher here at Oxford University Press, about the importance of identity in engaging students in their learning and the impact of the strategies they're using in the science classroom. Every student needs to feel valued in order to succeed, and learner identity is one of the key pillars of the Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. Find out more by visiting www.oxfordsecondary.com forward slash smart. Hi everyone, so my name's Lamorna, I'm the science publisher at Oxford University Press, and I'm delighted to have Genevieve Bent and Linda Charlesworth with us here today to talk about student identity in the science classroom. Before we get started, I'm going to give a very brief overview of identity in this context and what some of the research tells us about learner identity. So firstly, what is learner identity? It's been found to be a highly important mediator of learning and learner identity can be understood as the development of attitudes and habits that influence how students understand themselves as a learner. It's complex and um, is comprised of a person's sense of self and also the way that they're seen and recognised, for example, being a good student or being good at a subject, meaning that schools can actually have a significant influence over a person's identity. There are several areas that research shows influence learner identity. Here, I'm gonna touch briefly on subjects capital, culturally responsive teaching and diversity, diverse and inclusive practices. Evidence suggests that students find science interesting, but don't necessarily connect it to their own lives. It can feel distant or remote. Um, and this can be unwittingly reinforced by some practices. Research shows that teachers have the ability to change these patterns via inclusive practice and by working to value and support learners existing science capital. For example, that comes from their hobbies, their interests, maybe their home life experience. And that's about building subject capital and relating it to students' lives. Culturally responsive teaching is a research-based practice that focuses on what learners bring to the classroom. So by nurturing connections between the cultures, languages and life experiences of learners with the subject that they're learning about, it will raise expectations and help students to access what can be a very rigorous curriculum. And along the way, they'll develop their academic skills. Finally, diverse and inclusive practice doesn't need to be about big changes or initiatives. Small steps such as not assuming that all students share the same prior knowledge or capital 
using inclusive language like saying learners or children rather than boys and girls can make a big impact on student identity and this can be supported by an inclusive and representative curriculum. So that was a very very high level and very brief description of some of the research um, that's been done on identity and um, we're now going to talk to Genevieve and Linda about their experiences putting it into practice in the classroom. So firstly can you tell us about yourself and why you started to spend time on STEM identity? And Linda, I'll go to you first. Okay, so uh, my name is Linda Charlesworth. I am the head of science at Camden School for Girls in Camden. Um, I've been teaching for 30 years, very long time. Uh, the last 12 I've been in Camden School for Girls. Um, as we know, that uh, women and ethnic minorities are underrepresented in STEM fields. And our cohort at our school is very, very diverse with female in the main school and we're mixed in our A-level. And I'm just really interested in strategies to allow our students to see themselves as belonging in a STEM role or with a STEM subject, or at least having the option to do so if they wanted to. Um, I'm going to have a quick act. I'm interested in who's in girls' schools and who's not in girls' schools. Uh, can anyone let me know whether you're in a mixed school, a girls' school, or if you're in a school like me, a hybrid where we're girls in the main and mixed in the A-level, because I know there's quite a few of those now. Put that in the chat for me, please. And Genevieve, over to you. Can you tell us a bit about yourself? Hello, everyone. Um, my name is Genevieve Bent. I am currently an assistant principal for sixth form. So I head up the Key Stage 5 provision at my school. I work in a mixed secondary academy in South London. And I was a head of science for five years before moving into this role. Now, STEM identity has been something that I've been really interested in, um, you know, in my particular research interests, as well as within the role in my school. Um, and I did a master's in science education, which looked at um, underrepresented, underrepresented groups in science education and moving forward into STEM. And so working in such a diverse setting and working in um, a multicultural setting and not seeing uh, what I wanted to see in terms of progress in science and advancement in science, I decided to continue to look at um, STEM identity in a little bit more deeper focus. Similar to Linda, I wonder if there's anyone who is in um, the webinar who is from a from a London-based school or a school in the south of England um, or south of the UK um, or anyone who's in the north, I'd be interested to know if you can put that in the chat as well, please. Great, and welcome. We're so glad you're here with us. Um, getting started, what strategies do you use in the classroom? And I'll go to you first, Genevieve. So there have been quite a few um, things that I looked at as, I, as we sort of developed the science department and, and tried to push this focus on identity. Um, now, one of those things was really looking at the careers provision that we delivered um, as, a, as a science department. And one of the main things that we did and developed over time was looking at widening participation opportunities as well as providing a greater focus on careers within STEM. So I, the team and, and myself, we developed an annual um, STEM fair, which we would look at um, trying to increase representation for groups, you know, traditionally um, underrepresented communities. So that was women, that was um, ethnic minorities, that was LGBTQ plus communities and trying to ensure that we had representation in all of those groups within our STEM um, careers provision. 
we made a lot of uh, changes when it came to reviewing the curriculum. So this was a, a big sort of group project and a group task, but we wanted to review the the representation and diversity within our curriculum. So we we went about developing um, and reviewing the the sort of representation that we was giving in the classroom and ensuring that it, it met the needs of of students. So we um, diversified and, and tried to decolonize our curriculum. We looked at scientists that were prevalent in the curriculum. Many of those um, were male scientists. We looked at replacing and adding with female scientists. We also looked at um, including and, and adding in underrepresented communities like ethnic minorities and where we for every scientist that we had that was of a particular um, that was male, we tried to change it around and ensure that we added someone that um, was inclusive in that sense. And then lastly, we we, we try to celebrate different um, awareness days in science and in STEM. So things like LGBTQ plus month, um, things like Women in STEM Day or International Women in Science Day, making sure that we were able to, um, again, represent different groups by celebrating that in the classroom and making that explicit that actually science and STEM is for everyone. It's not just for one particular community. Great, thank you. And Linda, what strategies do you use in the classroom? Um, so one of the main things that we do is we try to introduce STEM activities, STEM careers, STEM skills as, as early as we possibly can to keep that enthusiasm that our students come in with in year seven. So we have a, a range of activities. Uh, we have some external providers um, that come in and give us shows. Uh, we have shows from, we have a chemistry show called As If By Magic uh, for our year sevens. And then in our year eights, we have a show from the Royal Navy who comes in and uh, they brought to ro once brought a robot, which our girls absolutely loved. It, and the, the robot is coming back. Um, we also have uh, external providers like the Crick who have come into our school and developed projects at the end of year seven, at the end of year eight, at the end of year nine that are part of their assessment. And that's just using some really cool kit. So like proper science kit it looks like they're in csi we've got like colorimeters and they they get those little tubes and they're putting different chemicals in and and they really enjoy it and it's keeping that enthusiasm alive um we do our own stem day in year nine where we track them in school and we make them learn all about stem and we've had uh, our last stem day we had uh three different activities that they revolved around one was called interfilm that was based upon the James Bond movie and all the different roles that are STEM related in the movies. Uh, the second part was from the zoo. The zoo came in, London Zoo, and gave a talk about all of the different careers in, in the zoo, which are very varied and very interesting. And finally, we made balloon racers. Um, and, the, and the students really, really, and then we all raced them and we had a big competition to see who had the fastest and who went the furthest. Um, so we're just trying to keep it fun, but we're also trying to keep it hands-on and very skill-based. And just to say, this is this is for you. Um, one of the things that we're starting to do that I think is going to be really successful is we're getting our... We've always had STEM ambassadors, and I'm sure you probably know if we've got some people here that are trying to introduce STEM, that you'll get all these emails, STEM, well, come in, I'll come in. Your best STEM ambassador, I think, is your students your students that have gone on 
uh, to do to do science A levels or maths or to go on and do a degree, they might not not necessarily go on to do a science related job. But it's about those skills that STEM could be for them regardless of where they go in their further lives. It's really useful and really valuable skills. Um, we do also look at the gender bias in our curriculum um, and we do try it, although it's very, very hard. I had a question on energy transfers yesterday about a minor and I was like, so well, how much energy did he lose? And I was like, whoa, hang on a minute. That's a bit gender bias there. How much energy does she lose? So about identifying where where there are issues and reviewing the reviewing the curriculum offer because it is very heavy on the on white males it's it's very very heavy and we are trying to use displays and, and try to have more of those underrepresented groups on display. Fantastic. So you've both mentioned that you've made some modifications to the curriculum, particularly around diversifying and decolonizing the curriculum. Is there any other modifications that you want to highlight that you've made to embed learner identity into the curriculum? Um, starting with you, Linda. It's going to be me. Um, the, the main thing we've done is, is the projects at the end, because it is actually there. It's part of their end of year assessment. And the, and the end one end of year nine is part of their key stage three assessment. And they are very uh, progressive and they build up all of the skills that we want them to use. So, so in year seven, we talk about variables and they test, they have these little ultraviolet beads and we have these really cool UV lamps that have been specially designed and we we put different volumes of liquid suntan lotion and they measure how the SPF affects the colour of the beads and it's brilliant, but they really, really enjoy it. And uh, Then in year eight, we do like a prediction where we say, okay, you've got factor two SPF and you've got factor eight how much better do you think factor eight is? And everyone goes, oh, I think it's four times better. And it's not because it's non-linear. So we do graphs and we look at trends. And then in year nine is when we look at, at malaria. And that's what we do with the colorimeters and the uh, the stuff that looks like CSI. So we, And we're looking at applying data to unfamiliar circumstances. So it really is fun and relevant. It's, it's about stuff that's going on. We are this year we're changing the malaria to COVID. So that's going to be quite fun about our COVID and COVID testing. Um, they did actually borrow our, our little tubes for when they were doing the COVID testing in school. So all the, all the kids recognised them. But yeah, it's about embedding it into our curriculum. We're probably not, I bet we're not as far down the path as Genevieve, but we are trying to map into our curriculum every possible opportunity when we can talk about underrepresented groups in science rather than focusing on the, the traditional white male scientists. So we, we are, but I, I, I would maybe get Genevieve's details so I can have a little look at how she's <laughs> mapped hers. That sounds really interesting. Um, Genevieve, is there anything you'd add to what you've already said? I mean, Linda has covered a lot of uh, pretty much, you know, this, the same sorts of things we would want to do. Um, and. I don't know about far down the path. It is something that is constantly ongoing and obviously um, moving into, moving away from head of science and moving into um, a different role has obviously had an impact in terms of my input in that. But certainly we, as a department, it was really important that we were able to um, 
like Linda said, map exactly where we want to include scientists and make the curriculum more inclusive. So for example, um, I spent a lot of time outside of lessons being able to, outside of my sort of day job, sorry, being able to speak to scientists from um, South London, from around the area, and actually including the work that they are doing into our curriculum. So for example, Deshane Murray, um, he is a neuro, well, he was a doctoral student at the time, but he's now a um, Deshane Murray PhD, and he worked on neurotechnology and including that actually into the curriculum. So not just um, looking at the scientists that are part of the curriculum, you know, the, the white male scientists, but actually being able to include modern day scientists and have students look at someone that reflects their experiences, their backgrounds, um, and, and build on that really and, and encourage that sense of identity in STEM. Um, and I, I think also, like Linda said as well, the sort of engagement with widening um, participation and outreach programmes. And I know there was a comment earlier saying it sounds expensive, but um, both Linda and I are advocates of ensuring that things are free. Um, and I think we'll, we'll touch on that later, but something like Black STEM Futures, um, that, that was a programme designed for, you know, black young black students to encourage their love of STEM and encourage them into moving forward into into STEM careers and, and STEM A-levels at, at, at the very least. So it's engaging with those sorts of programs and trying to, again, um, tie that in with curriculum to ensure that students are getting a, a two-pronged approach, really. Fantastic. They all sound like brilliant things that you've been doing. Um, what have you found is the most challenging aspect of making these changes? So I'll start with you again, Genevieve. I think um, I think the, the the main challenge is measuring impacts. Um, you know, it's it's hard. It's it's great to have surface level impact and see that the attitudes are changing, the attitudes are more positive um, with our students. But actually, being able to measure measure t tangible impact is always going to be really really hard. No matter how many things we put in place, can we say that actually this links directly to the efforts we've put in place? So that has been the challenge. Um, and I'd say also just trying to fit this, you know, this isn't a, a, it takes one go and then you're done. Like I said earlier, it's something that requires ongoing effort. So in short, trying to fit that in amongst all the curriculum changes that happen um, within the school, within, you know, <laughs> the government, um, as well as um, trying to diversify and, and, and encourage identity. So it's it's finding the time and finding the, the um having a team effort to be able to do that consistently and effectively. Great. And Linda, yourself? Yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to say exactly the same things. Um, so we've just, we're in our second year. We're, we're doing a project with uh, Queen Mary's. It's called Connect Physics. Uh, and they've come in to, to three of our classes. Last year, they came in the first term and talked about why physics is for you. They came in the second term and talked about even more how physics is for you. And then they came in the third term and followed it up with why should you do physics in the future? Physics is brilliant. Physics is amazing. And the, and the kids loved it. They had a, you know, they built a spaghetti tower and they had, the, what they liked the most was the quiz about the, the female scientists because it, it was accessible, but it was also stuff that they didn't know about. So they really enjoyed that. I We did an evaluation. Kids really liked it. I know what they really like. That's brilliant. I have no idea how I'm going to map that into, into trying to track. Did that make them in year nine think 
yes, science is for me. I can see myself uh, wanting to do well at science, engaging with science, and then maybe even thinking about taking science at A-level. How to map that through, that that is the biggest challenge. And, um, yeah, and, and I, I don't know what the answer is to that. We're doing it again this year, um, and that is one of the things I would recommend to people with these activities. There's so many, and I've done I've done lots and lots and lots and lots and lots, and I've got to the point now where I stick with certain providers. Yeah. It's organised. I know what they're going to do. I know that they're free. The person that said that all, all of my activities, I don't have any that cost money apart from one, which I'll tell you about. Um, and that allows me to have an evaluation. It allows me to give a bit more thought to how can I track these? How could maybe I can have a, at the end of year 10 a drop down menu of all the activities they've done and they can say, oh, actually, yes, that, that was one that helped. I don't know. Uh, time and also buy-in. Mm. Doing these STEM activities, we're taking students out of other lessons and, and finding creative ways to do that without upsetting other um, other subjects uh, is, is it's quite challenging. And and the, the main thing I'm trying to get across is we're doing this because because step women women are underrepresented in STEM. This is a problem mm. and we really need to be doing something for it. But the, there is a lot of challenge and finding time out of the delivering the, the normal curriculum content to actually say we're going to spend this amount of time on this. Uh, uh, it, it does cause a, f a few frictions, but I actually think it's worth it in the end of the run because I think they get more out of remembering the show or remembering the activities than they will actually remembering that they learned this and they finished that topic and they did this assessment. So time evaluation exactly the same as Genevieve said <laughs> can I also add something as well I think where Linda was talking about buy-in from other subjects and other subject leaders I think another thing is the buy-in from students it's those initial attitudes that students have that actually it's first at first it's hard to try and crack and it's hard to try and um to sort of start to change their minds so I think that first you know, the, the first initial um, responses from students who always, well, I'm, I'm not sure I see the point in this, I don't like science, that sort of thing. And it's um, the, the changing of those attitudes is definitely a, a challenge at first until it becomes more consistent until and until but students see it as worthwhile. That's really interesting. So you've both touched on how difficult it is to measure impact. Um, are you able to say anything about what impacts you have seen from spending this time on identity in your classrooms? Um, and um, I'll start with Linda on this one. Um, well, the good news is, and, I, and I, I can't necessarily say this is definitely <laughs> because of our STEM activities, is in my A-level physics, I have more than 50% girls in both, in both of my, I've got two year 12 classes of about, 20 students in each and I've got two year 13 classes about the same size and I have more than 50% and that's and it's been like that for the past I think four years it wasn't like that it's something we've slowly built up and and they're not all Camden girls that there is a, a range from other schools but but that for me is, is a big indicator we get a lot of our girls coming through uh, into chemistry because you need to do chemistry to do medicine and a lot of our girls are really interested in that. We have a, a medical society that we've set up ourselves and we run that for our sort of 10s and 11s and 
and to try to encourage that. And that is our our chemistry numbers are are huge. Our, our classes are so big. We've got three classes in year 12, three classes in year 13, and they're all full. We haven't got any room. Uh, same with biology. So we our A-level numbers are, are high, but whether that's because people want to come to our school to do their A-levels because we get good results or whether it's because our students are coming through, but, but they are definitely coming through. So that's number one. Our GCSE exam results for our year 11, only six out of our whole of our year 11 didn't pass, didn't get a full four. And we are we are a, a state school. We are uh, not selective. So I have to think that that's an indicator that they are engaged in their science. And I have to what I like about that is not so much this makes it look like we've kept them interested and enthusiastic. But I do, I do think that that's the reason I like the fact that whatever they choose to do, they've got choice because they've got a pass in their science. So they and I say to them, right, that's it. Now you've got you passed. You can now do anything you want to do because you've got that you've got that pass in science. And I think that's that's another indicator. That's a great message as well for students and a confidence boost. Um, and Genevieve? Yeah, I mean, <laughs> I know I, I know all about Linda's school. I've heard so many good things about Linda's school, and that's really positive. Um, and I think some of that we, we would sort of, um, some of that, what Linda said, I'd mimic uh, uptake in sciences has increased um, consistently, which is fantastic for us. Um, and we've been able to retain our year 11s to move into A-level sciences, which is, again, a new thing for us as well. Um, thinking about our chemistry and biology class, biology is often seen as the, the female science. And I think um, practitioners have probably, you know, they, they see that message and, and it's something that obviously um, it's not necessarily true, but we do see more students, female students in biological sciences. But certainly in the chemistry class, again, over 50% um, of, of the class are, are girls. And um, and in terms of all of the biology, chemistry and physics that we're seeing, uh, over 90% of all of those classes are ethnic minority students, which is it's a higher percentage and you know, our numbers are at key stage four. So that's really good news. Um, Again, year 11 results have, have got better over time. Students have, again, it's surface level. It's not necessarily tangible impact. And we can't um, say it's the root cause of, it's the root consequence of, of what we've done. But certainly um, year 11 science results have just got better and better year upon year. Um, and students just have a more positive outlook towards science. Attitudes um, have changed over time. And, you know, we still get the students who, who say they're not good at science, et cetera, but it's about building in that resilience and, and seeing student resilience increase over time. Um, but but it, it, it is, it's hard to measure. Uh, we've seen greater participation in STEM projects over time. So we had um, students who were involved in STEM projects from year seven, from year eight, move forward and do really well in science. Uh, so I, I guess those are the sorts of things that, we, that we're looking at. Um, and yeah, moving forward, tracking that is very difficult, but it's mm -hmm. certainly something that we're, we're quite pleased about as a department. It sounds great to have seeing that shift in attitude and also the move away from the stereotypes of the different sciences something people have been striving for for a long time so for both of you what is one key piece of research that you've read that you would recommend to read and i'll go to genevieve first here there are 
quite a few pieces of research. <laughs> there are loads and loads, if I'm honest. Um, and I came across so many when I was completing my own um, thesis and my own research. But I'd, I'd say rather than key piece of research, it's more the key person that I've, that I've looked towards, um, you know, lots of times and that is Professor Louise Archer. So she started working in uh, King's College London and she developed the Science Capital project and then she moved into UCL and continued with the Science Capital research and she did, um, she's done quite a few different projects that look at the attitudes and beliefs of, of young people as they move through um, to, from Key Stage 2 to 3 to 4 to five even um, and the aspires project research that she did and i've put that on the handout so i know that participants are going to get that later on today but the aspires research looked at the attitudes of students it looked at the attitudes of family it looked at how um different cultures approached science and the, the sort of capital that they gained as they moved from 10 years old all the way through to 19 years old and it sort of tracks students as they move through their academic journey um, and Louise Archer's research is absolutely brilliant when it comes to looking at STEM identity when it comes to looking at learner identities and when it looks at the attitudes that students have when they see them you know whether they see themselves in STEM or not so any piece of research related to STEM identity and Louise Archer for me are key um, if anyone wants to do some more reading but again I've put three key pieces from Louise Archer into that handout um, and yeah th those are the sort of ones I'd suggest starting with. Great and yourself Linda? Um, I echo about the Aspires uh, project. I've been to quite a few diversity CPDs where they've, where they've shown results and I would highly recommend going to one because it does really sort of sh really condense what they've shown in, in quite a meaningful way that you can actually apply in, into the classroom. Um, I've also, on the handout, I've, gone, I've done the STEM learning. STEM learning do quite a lot of things and they've got a really good handout that I've put there about STEM capital. She's re is really quite clear about different steps that you can take to improve it. Um, but the research that I've put, it was called Applying Behavioural Insights to Increase Female Students' Uptake of STEM Subjects at A-Level. Um, so our school took part in this research and we, with, our, with our Year 10 students. And one group of Year 10 got the intervention and the other group of Year 10 didn't. And the, it, there was... It was two interventions. Uh, one was with the students and their parents sort of talking about how STEM could be useful for them and the sort of jobs you can do. And, and STEM is actually a, a very useful thing for them to go into. And the other part of the intervention was about them being successful at, at STEM and looking at their own sort of self-identity and did they think they could do it and dealing with, you know, a little bit of uh, stereotype threat and things like that. Um, and they found that these strategies did were successful. So I put a link there and I've sort of I'm going to read out to you what they said. So the promise, the best strategies they said is the results from this project suggest that improving students and their parents perceptions of the usefulness of STEM for fulfilling their personal goals is is really successful for getting girls to choose to do STEM at, at a later time. So um, it's an interesting read. Um, but I think in terms of having things condensed for you, I would go to STEM learning or I would go to the to the Aspires uh, research page. 
There's also, sorry, just to add, STEM learning, um, some of that CPD that they offer is really good as well. But they also have uh, videos of diverse scientists. It's like some case studies of diverse scientists as well, which are really good plug and play videos for yourself as teachers, but also can fit into different um, different themes or topics within the curriculum that actually might be useful. A little bit dated, but, but, but still quite relevant. Dated is better than nothing. Isn't it? I've just written that down. I'll go and do that. Um, so this is my last question for you. Um, if there was just one thing to take away from this session to try, what would it be? And so I'll go to you, Linda, first on that one. Um, I would, I would make it in house. I would look at everybody has got some students female students, students from ethnic minorities that have gone on to do a science degree or a STEM degree. And and you need to use those as your resource. They're, they're, they're free and they're cheap. And once you, what I'm getting mine to do is I'm taking a picture of them. I'm getting a little bit of blurb. Sometimes they don't want a picture. So I've got them doing something. <laughs> so it's not actually their face. And then I've got that and I've got a display. I've got them coming in talking to our students there is nothing that will make your students believe that stem is for them and except for seeing someone that actually has gone on and done it and I, I think that's the most powerful thing that you can do um my other advice would be you're going to get bombard you get bombarded i, I just as soon, i look at it i go straight to the money if it's money i delete it i, I don't even read it I choose the free ones. I've given a list that they're going to hand out to you afterwards of all the providers I use. They are free apart from one, which is the London Zoo. And I don't and I think this can only happen to people that are near London Zoo. So I won't talk about it too much, but it cost me £500 to become a partnership with London Zoo. And I can send as many kids to the zoo for free that I want to. And I did it last year and I took all of year seven, all of year eight. Mm. And I, I did another special activities and I thought, oh, no one will want to go because they've all been 60 students signed up. They love the zoo. And that has been a, a it's been the best 500 pounds I've ever spent. So but, but pick the free ones. I think we all love the zoo. Um, Genevieve, how about you? What's one thing to take away from the session to try? Um, one thing to take away firstly is that I want to work with Linda and her science department <laughs> uh, because everything sounds fun. Um, but just thinking about what we've done and, you know, the, the challenges and everything like that, I would say that um, one is reviewing the curriculum, being able to represent students that we're teaching, particularly when you work in such a diverse school, diverse setting and showing them um, people, whether that's uh, current scientists, scientists from the past, so I don't know, people like Henrietta Lacks, people that they're not exposed to traditionally in the curriculum has, you know, it has such a powerful effect on, on students in the room. Um, so, you know, whether it's looking at a scientist who is uh, LGBTQ+, a scientist who is from, I don't know, somewhere in the world, whether it's London, 
or their background is similar i think just exposing them to those people has just had like has powerful effects on students has a powerful impact um and the second thing would be to engage with higher education institutions there are so many really good programs that are aimed at and targeted at different groups of students so um ucl for example do really really good programs and um, which look at uh, maths they look at stem attitudes they look at all of ucl imperial all of those universities have like amazing programs and they they want students they want particular groups of students they want to offer their services for free and just engaging with those um universities is is just something that is free it's easy and you know just take advantage of and so that that would probably be my my main piece of advice because they're doing all the work they're doing a lot of the work for us um and no cost and students just gain a lot from them so yeah that would be mine as well fantastic lots of um low cost or free options from both of you um so we that was my last question for you um is there anything you'd like to add just before we move on to the question and answers session so um if anyone in the audience has got questions get them into the um question box now I would like to say that when we're talking about the further impact of what we are doing, and we've talked about the impact on the students, I would like it to come to pass that the teachers can talk about scientists from different backgrounds easily, without having to think about it, without having to struggle to look, or let me look up who that person is, as easy as they would talk about Isaac Newton, who may or may not be a member of the LGBTQ club. Maybe, I'm not saying that, maybe, perhaps, rumoured. But yeah, I think I think it's important that, because at the moment, it's not natural. It's not natural for kids. It's it's Isaac Newton. Yeah. It's, 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 and it's not natural for teachers. Teachers are not coming up with the names like this. Mm -hmm. And the, for me, a, and the big impact will be in a couple of years time when we've got all these things in our curriculum and it's just modern, relevant scientists that, that, that they're looking at that, that we that we're all talking about the same language and we're all promoting the same um ideas yeah i would say just to add um not necessarily based off of linda point but just talking about teachers as well we it often gets forgetting, forgotten that it's not just science education that actually should be having a, a change in attitudes and, and in trying to improve that curriculum. But actually STEM is made up of all the other subjects and having cross-curricular links is really important to actually having um, all these different approaches to change student attitudes. So, you know, working with the computer science department, targeting girls in computer science, working with maths, getting them involved in those things. And when it came to the STEM fair, we had representation from different departments so that, so that students can see, yes, it's science, but actually STEM can include um, technology. It can include working in engineering maths um, and actually although it is our job as science practitioners and science teachers it's also the the job of of other departments too and they should be encouraging that um, and helping you promote that and, and working with students too so I think that's important that you talk to um, other departments and really you know work together to, to, to make this like a, a joint effort I agree yeah fantastic point um, so we're going to move, I can see we've got some questions and we're going to move to the to answering those questions in a moment. 
um, you will see a poll pop up on your screen. So um, learner identity is one of the pillars that we've been integrating with um, as part of the Oxford Smart Curriculum for Science. And so this poll is just if you would like to learn more information about how that could benefit your school and what we've done there, um, do let us know and um, you'll hear more from us about that. Um, okay, so let's look at the questions. So we've got one about your um, zoology, uh, zoology, zoo payment. Is that a one-time payment, Linda? Yes, it's 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 a. Uh, I'm just. I've put I've put the link of the of the person that does it for me. It's. Uh, let me see what it's called. Zoo. It's called the London Zoo Education Access Scheme. And it's £500 and we get unlimited and it could be for anything like like art. I'm thinking of going there so that they can because it's got such nice things to draw. Um, they, we get bespoke activities for the kids that are much, much cheaper. They, they've come into school to give talks. Uh, and one of the things that I'm really interested in that we've not touched upon one of the things to really improve science capital is to get the parents involved. Mm. And one of the things you can do through this scheme is, is to get community tickets where you get really cheap tickets to the zoo. And what we plan to do is have a Saturday morning and we're going to bring, we're going to, we're going to target certain students and their families, have them come in, learn about the zoo and science, but then we're going to give them some tickets for the family to go to the zoo. So sort of getting that family engagement. If, if, you, if, you're a, if you're part of their catchment area, I would highly recommend doing it. It's been a real, it's been a real treasure and the kids have loved it. Sounds great. I would have loved it. I've put the student. contact details on the handout. Um, and we have another question, um, which is around the activities that you do um, and the strategies that you use to encourage STEM identity in your classroom. Um, so are these activities embedded into your lessons or do you do them uh, after schools? Uh, so uh, Genevieve, do you want to mention um, first? I think it really just depends. It depends on the activity um, and you know whether deciding whether that is something that, that is to be done in the school day or whether that's after school. So a lot of the projects, a lot of the competitions, we do run those after school. Um, they have traditionally run after school uh, or, or lunch times, but actually, you know, there is if there is capacity to do it inside of the school day. Um, I'm not sure if it means activities like one-off activities or certainly curriculum-based stuff or curriculum modifications are done so that they affect everyday lessons. But but one-off sort of activities they are they can be within the school day or they can be after school. It really just depends on on what it is and you know the what impacts that will have and capacity really. So it's more logistical than anything else. Linda? Um, a lot of our shows, we, we try to do them in our science lessons, but sometimes I have to beg and borrow from other teachers and say, can I steal the year sevens for this? Or I have to say that it's never, ever been a problem. Um, we do also do, we do a lunchtime um, STEM club, uh, which we do with DT. Um, if you, you do some of the activities, so one of the ones I put on my list is the small piece. The small piece activities are fantastic. They're free. They'll give you ideas about things you can do in the classroom. They only do 60 kids 
And for me, that means I'm taking 60, one of our, our year groups, 120. So I'm taking half the year group and I'm leaving the other half. And it's one of the reasons that I started to do my own STEM day because I wanted, I want all of the students to have the mm. same experience. Um, however, if you're a smaller cohort, I, I highly recommend them. For those sorts of things, I've really, really had to get the buy-in of SLT because I was taking students out for, not, not a whole day, but for a half a day from their other subjects. Um, and it does take a little bit of negotiation um, we, we we sometimes get into trouble. We once did this, I don't know if you've heard of it, it's called Race for the Line. And they build race cars out of foam. Um, and, and the Navy, uh, not the Navy, I think the Army comes in and they race them with like proper rockets. It's, it's, it's very good. It took so much time out of our curriculum. It was, it, I, I totally underestimated how much time it would take. And my teachers were not very happy with me because they didn't have time to teach what they needed to teach. But it was year seven. And I said, I thought that the, the enjoyment that they got out of it was was worth the lack yeah. and the catch up that we had to do to try and get them to where we wanted to be in terms of their science curriculum. Mm. We had a year seven inventors project and it was in collaboration with LSBU so it was an Erasmus funded project and student year seven students and they would be out the same time every week and I I, I had to apologize a lot to the teachers that were affected <laughs> but at the end you know they they were doing coding they were building um robotics based off of coding and then they got to go to South Bank University they got to graduate they got the certificates so in the end most of the time the impact is worth it um but you, you just have to you just have to like linda said you just have to beg and apologize <laughs> and um just just try and win them around in some some form yeah that um sense of enjoyment is never to be underestimated yeah i will um, oh, I'll sorry. Just give you one example this is something else that i've noticed about that women in stem in this project, I brought a hot wire cutter. I don't know if you've ever seen them. Mm. And you put the, you, you get your foam and you put it and it cuts it like cheese, going through a cheese cutter. And the year sevens loved it. And you could see that these girls have never had an opportunity to, to do something like this. And when I, I had helpers in the class, if they were male helpers, they tried to tell the students how to do it. And I was like, no, 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 no. It's a wire. It's a bit of foam. Let them figure it out. They don't need your help. They're perfectly capable. But the automatic reaction from the male staff was to say, all right, no, try it. No, do it like this. And I'm like, whoa, they would never have done that. If that was a male student, they would have just let that male student get on with it. So it, there are other attitudes that, that you're kind of having to work on as well. But yeah, let the year sevens do it. Let them have fun. Um, there's a connected question a little bit. How do you, so you've talked about getting buy-in from SLT and other um, teachers to take students out. How do you incentivize staff to run these activities if they're, say, after school or during lunch breaks? Who's going to go first? You can go first. <laughs> I have to I'm, think about I'm lucky enough that I actually have a, a, a member of my department who has a TLR which has, he has a thousand jobs, one of which is he is our STEM person. 
and he helps me with the STEM. He runs the the STEM um, lunchtime club, um, and that and that obviously helps having someone like that. I think when it comes to the department, the, the STEM day is a little bit tricky, and I have to be really, I have to try to be really fair about who's doing what because it is it is a hard day, and and everyone does have to get involved. You've got to like be enthusiastic. And I do have to use people's free time, use their freeze. And that can be a little bit tricky. Um, I think ultimately when you see the enjoyment, when, when you see the end results, um, the, the teachers come on board. Um, there is, there are issues with the connect, the, the year eight connect that did affect us finishing some of the topics for teaching so, so it is issues you do have to be very careful but there's always a way around it there, there, there are always ways that you can you know use other lessons to teach things and and and, and get through I, I keep saying that the the outcome the enjoyment and the, and the, the satisfaction of the students I think is good for good for them good for the teachers mm. yeah I was always really lucky um to have such a supportive enthusiastic department um every single member of the department just wants to do what they can they want to take part they want to give up their time um you know to to a certain extent um to in order to benefit our students so i've always been i, I was always really lucky with my department and i think where you know we work in a very diverse school and my department is very diverse so we were from the caribbean we we're from south london we were from um uh, europe we were from asia so like there was always some you know people from different backgrounds that actually we all want to come together and, and build representation and build attitudes in in our students and so um yeah it, you know we worked really collaboratively we everyone wanted to do their part our things like stem fairs were fridays after school or you know one year it was a saturday and we came in on a saturday and we were setting up in the morning and we were there you know for a good few hours just just making things enjoyable for students and so it it, it really does depend on the relationship obviously that you have with the staff and the, the relationship that we have um as a team that is part of incentivization that you don't actually have to incentivize them we all want to do this together but certainly you know tlrs like linda said does really help um and having you know members having those members of staff that are actually responsible for i don't know key stage three coordination so you know working with the key stage three stem side of things or key stage four so that all of that helps as well but yeah it is it is about just as certainly when you're leading the department just trying to develop that sense of buy-in from all the staff so that everyone wants to to take part in this and everyone wants to be a part of you know building and promoting and and um, encouraging students so yeah it's just a it's, it's just a mixture really great. but the team was great just to just to add that in <laughs> sounds fantastic um so we've got one more question um is it uh do you have any recommendations um for different activities that are good at checking den uh, gender bias it's mm -hmm. uh, a really good yeah. question yeah it is a good question um does anyone want to take it first Mm. Might be one you need mm. to ponder. Actual gender bias. Um, I, I was. Should I, I'll just start. Yeah. Um, I, 
I would always point towards the research. So looking at uh, certainly my literature review when I was doing my thesis, I had to, you know, I was using a lot of the research that is out there for STEM um, and girls and gender bias. So there is quite a few um, there was quite a few strategies that that are embedded in that research and one of them was looking actually at reviewing textbooks and the gender bias that they hold um you know within textbooks and traditionally that's always been a thing and actually that was a really big theme that came across mm -hmm. in a lot of literature um was the resources that we use and that we put in front of students so it's not necessarily an activity for students but it's certainly um, something that as a practitioner we, you'd, you'd want to look at and and start use as a base maybe for approaching the gender bias issue i don't know yeah i can't think of any i, I think the, the the gender bias is something that we talk about as with, with our staff because yeah. we are we are gender biased you know every bias is unconscious it, yeah. it's there mm -hmm. and i think for us it's really we, so we we used to call our students camden girls we're camden girls yeah. and we're really trying to move away from that and we're moving away from ladies that this is you know this is how this is how we behave that, that ladies are like this so using sort of non non gender specific language is really important, it's, and it's hard. It, it's difficult to do, but those are the sorts of things to actually really, and that makes the kids realise because when when you forget and you say, and I'll say, come on, girls, and I sorry, students. I mean, I have some non binary students, so it, it is actually really important yeah. that everybody feels included. Um, so I've now caught students, and it's a real thing. Year seven, year eight, I'm not like. Using, using any kind of gender terms um and when I do I talk I, oh and I talk about it and if I and you do you talk about a doctor being male and a nurse being female it just you've got to stay, take a step back and say whoa what did I just do and the kids will say oh miss got you that was a bit of gender bias there so just bringing it bring it into normal conversation because it's okay to, to make those those not necessarily mistakes but to use that language um but you've got to recognise it. And I think it's really important, particularly uh, in, in today's sort of modern world, everybody must feel included. And using terms like ladies mm. or girls is it, it's very, um, it's very old fashioned as well, isn't it? As well as, as, well as gender bias. So that, that's all I can say. I can't think of an actual activity. There are some stories. There are mm. some stories like the one about the New York orchestra that never had female mm. in it. And then they did blind uh, auditions and suddenly it's like more I think it's more than 50% now when they couldn't actually see what the musicians was I mean it is it is a really it is a, an un unconscious unconscious and a definite bias that is happening quite a lot of not quite a lot a lot of the time so sorry if that doesn't quite answer your question but that's where we're at um so we've got one last question that's just come through uh, it takes a lot of courage to miss parts of the national curriculum to make time for STEM activities. So you talked about this a little bit. Do you think it is time to rethink the national curriculum? I think that's an ongoing question, really. Um, <laughs> I think it's something that we that we discuss all the time. Uh, you know, certainly from my experience of teaching science before the two. Uh, the recent the Michael Gove changes and then after that and just looking at you know how relatable is the curriculum how useful is the curriculum there are certainly parts that actually are 
I don't feel are necessary for, for students to learn at a particular level. And so those are, there's definitely sort of room for changes in my opinion. And I think the curriculum needs to be from my opinion, it needs to be more relatable for students so actually students can see where science is leading them. There's not necessarily some of the more abstract material. Yes, it's some of it is important, but actually not necessarily um, important for the students at that point in their academic career. Um, I would absolutely advocate for um, encouraging pushing STEM activities into curriculum time because actually I would hope that the benefit outweighs the you know the the consequence of missing a little bit of that curriculum um, and you know we we you do what you can and you you try to make catch up time and I think that's all we can do because it's to me missing some of that time is 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 nowhere near as important as to encouraging students to, for a love of subject, encouraging students to move to want to aspire to be in that subject. There's nothing more than the love of learning. Um, there's nothing more important than the love of learning. And and, and so I, I would be absolutely happy to miss parts of the national curriculum. And I think that's just a, a decision that one would need to make. Um, but yeah. Linda? Um, I, I completely agree. I think um, there's a lot of scope in science for all sorts of really meaningful um, parts of the curriculum that are, that are just not there. I, I used to work in a school that had a farm and uh, had its own cows and its own pigs and it, it did rural science and the kids loved it. Rural and it was really meaningful. And then along came the national curriculum and it was like, no, you have to do this science. And it has to be done like this, and it's not necessarily relevant. And I and I, and I repeat there that I think that we need to definitely review it. It's way too content heavy, and it needs to do, yeah. be more about the skills. I would say, however, though, by doing activities, by keeping the kids engaged with the subject, that they are going to work harder. Once they disengage, yeah, then it takes you longer to teach everything anyway. So it's well worth investing that time to keep them engaged and, and enjoying science so that then they want to learn the things that you want to teach them but yeah i think that the key stage three and the key stage four curriculum needs to be reviewed the key stage five curriculum in a level physics i teach them to read the vernier scales and then i give them my digital scales to use we don't use those anymore but it's it's still a skill that they have to they have to learn as part of the curriculum yeah and i'd i'd also add to that that some of the some of the awe and wonder elements of science are always the supplement entry science qualifications so you look at some a little bit of the um you know the electronics a level for example um or the environmental science um post 16 qualifications some of that stuff that actually would would draw our students in and develop that sense of all wonder is just left out and it's left to be supplementary it's on the side and actually changes to the curriculum could bring back some of those elements um, and so making time for STEM activities is one way that you can do that. Fantastic so we're we're going to have to wrap up there but it's been brilliant having you both here talking about um, how to bring STEM identity into the classroom and into your curriculum. Oxford Smart uses the most up-to-date evidence and data to monitor, review and respond to each of your learners' needs. Curriculum and assessment are carefully planned together, making the data more meaningful. It reveals strengths, 
weaknesses, misconceptions, and plans personalized next steps to deepen learning. With a powerful flow of information and intelligent insight, Oxford Smart is always evolving, always learning more about what works for every learner and what could work better, getting even smarter. The Oxford Smart Curriculum Service. When everything connects, anything is possible. Thank you for listening to this episode of Oxford Ed Chat. We hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, please DM them to us at OUP Primary on Twitter.